Hi there, it's so good to be with you. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at King's. And it's great to be continuing our preach series, Origins. We're looking at the first three chapters of the Bible. We're looking at the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And as we look to understand uh, what God communicates to us in these passages, it gives us a sure foundation for life. It gives us a sure foundation for understanding, um, actually in helping to understand the whole Bible as well. Today we're going to be looking at the subject of sin and temptation. So, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, I've got to confess right at the very beginning, um, this was not a deliberate decision to put sin and temptation together with Mother's Day. I think it's more a reflection of our lack of planning. So, please, before I get lots of emails on Monday um, about that, it was not a deliberate thing. And also, just before you turn off your live stream, please let, give me a few moments to explain why I believe this is such an important subject for us to look at. I'm sure you'd agree that the world that we live in isn't perfect. There's some amazing bits about it, but it isn't perfect. In fact, in some ways, it's downright awful. If you take the civil war in Yemen, that's going on at the moment. I, I've seen a couple of um, news pieces recently and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, pictures of bombed out schools um, where there's groups of maybe 30, 40 children um, on, on a first floor with this high, there's not a staircase, there's a ladder to go up. And sometimes teachers can't make it in and so maybe 13 or 14 year old student is teaching, um, teaching their friends as best as they can. There aren't books and you're looking at that thinking, this, this is awful. Or another situation in Yemen I heard where, where one side was targeting children. Um, they were trying to shoot children. Snipers were trying to shoot children. And you think, what on earth is wrong with the world? But then, then even closer to home, you know, there's problems. The tragic disappearance and murder of Sarah Everard. I mean, what, what, what is going on What's going on there? And then, and then what sort of come to light on social media particularly, just, just the fear and abuse that many women face on a daily basis in just doing the everyday things, whether it's going on a tube train or walking past a building site, this isn't right. That, this, shouldn't be, this shouldn't be happening. Take trolling on social media. I mean, why, why do people feel the need to inflict such pain on others. Sometimes even when they've done really good things, they, they still get online abuse. It's like, uh, well, to be honest, what I nearly said then is, God, wh why? What, what is going on here? The truth is, if we look around, we see sin and temptation all around us. And if, if you're really brave and you're willing to pause, and you're willing to allow the, the noise of life to settle for a bit, and you're willing to look inside, I'm pretty certain that you'll find that it exists inside of you, and it exists inside of me as well. It isn't just an external problem, it's an internal problem as well. So what is the problem? And is it possible to fix it? In Genesis chapter 3, which is the bit of the Bible we're going to be looking at today, I think we see the most saddest 
devastating chapter in the whole Bible. In this instance, the whole story of humanity changed forever. It's, it's, it's when the door opened and, and the worst things that we see around us entered. So let me read chapter 3 to you and then we'll spend a little bit of time looking at it together. So verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to, to be desired for making one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and the dust um, you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. As I mentioned, this is probably the most tragic event in human history. It is, it is hard to overstate the impact. Now what I want to do is just take this account that we've read and I want to divide it into three simple sections. Really I want to look at the main characters, the main players within this story um, and see what we can learn from them. Firstly I'm going to look at Adam and Eve. We're, we're going to look at humanity. 
And I want to remind you of the incredible provision that God had provided for them. Everything they needed was provided by God. All of it was good, and they were very, very good. Food, purpose, safety, God's presence, with one small restriction that they couldn't eat of this tree. So when Adam and Eve chose to eat from that tree, they sinned. They chose to disbelieve God's promise and go a different way. They, they wanted to do it their way. It was, a, it was probably the ultimate act of betrayal. God had provided everything and they turned their back on him and in a sense saying, it's not good enough, we want to find our own way. They chose to disbelieve God's promise. And sin is a choice to allow someone or something other than the living God to be our God. It's to trust in other things to offer us fullness of life and satisfaction rather than God and what he provides for us. And so what happened in the garden got multiplied into thousands of expressions of sin. We find it in brokenness, rebellion, um, abuse, lust, hatred, gossip, greed, seen around us, and all devastating impact that, that, that multiplied out from that point in history. It, it, it had a devastating impact on Adam and Eve, and it's had a devastating impact on us, on humanity, ever since. You may say, well, what, what impact? Well, well, the first thing we find with sin when it came in is it separates people from God. We find that with Adam and Eve in verse 8, that they hid themselves from God. They knew. They knew they'd done something they shouldn't have done, and they wanted to hide away from God. They shouldn't have done it. Originally, God created um, men and women to live in harmony, to live in relationship with God. But sin came in and created this massive barrier, and that's the same for us today. Adam and Eve were designed to see God clearly. We, we can't see God clearly now. We get it all messed up. We also find that sin separates people from each other. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading the account. You know, God confronts Adam. Adam blames Eve. God confronts Eve. Eve blames the serpent, finger-pointing um, the separation barriers between people. And that's what we see in so many of our interactions. And thirdly, we find, the third thing we find is judgment. You see, sin is always followed by judgment. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm sure it's the case for you. You've got this inbuilt sense of justice within you. You know, in certain situations, you look and you say, this is wrong, this should change. Where did that come from? It came from God. Because God is just, and judgment and justice follows sin. The next, uh, next character or main player that we're going to briefly look at and we read about him in the first verse, is the serpent. We find the serpent appears in verse 1 in the garden, and, and he's the devil. The devil isn't some fairy tale creature like the tooth fairy or Father Christmas. He's a real living being. He's not, he's not God. This isn't a God versus God thing. You know, like, like, like um, the, the power of darkness against the, the power of light, and they're sort of even, and who's going to prevail? No, no. Devil's a created being. He was once a holy angel. 
and he fell. He, he, he lost his connection with God. Sin entered because he loved his own glory more than God's. Jesus called him the evil one, the ruler of this world. He called him a murderer and a liar. All of the worst stuff that we see amongst us and in us results ultimately from him. Can I say, have nothing to do with him. Don't, don't play around with him. He is dangerous. And he hates you. He's a murderer and a liar. And if even you're watching this, this stream right now, you're watching because you've got interest in spiritual things, don't, don't have anything to do with him. He is dangerous. So how does he work? Well, in this story, in this instance, and one of his main weapons is, is temptation. Every temptation is an enticement to live, away, to live independent of God. It's, it's to do it in a way other than the way God has uh, told us to live. So with, Eve and, with Adam and Eve, I'm sure the devil picked his time. That's how temptation works. He knows when we're going to be at our weakest, when we're going to be at our most vulnerable. He picks the right time. And it's interesting to note, it just starts with a question. It could even appear to be a slightly innocuous question. Did God say? Did God say? And that's how temptation often works. A thought comes into our heads and you sometimes think, I don't even know where that came from. I wasn't even thinking of that. It can start with an innocuous sort of question in our minds. And Eve responds, she sort of does all right. But she adds something in that God didn't even say. God didn't say anything about touching the fruit. He said not to eat it. But I wonder if that was because Eve didn't really know what God had said. She had a general understanding of it, but she hadn't taken responsibility for really finding out what God had said. And I wonder when it comes to temptation for us as Christians, sometimes the reason we struggle so much is we don't really know what God has said. A preacher may have said this at some point, or you may have read it somewhere in the Bible, but you're not owning the truth for yourself. You don't really know it. And because you don't really know it, you're vulnerable. It's not you've got to know every word in the Bible, but, but there are key promises, key verses that God has provided you that help you to fight temptation, but you're not taking it seriously. You think it's like a bit like a phony war. Well, it's not. He, the devil hates you, and he wants to trip you up. But as we're going to see soon, God's given us everything we need to be able to resist that. Then we find in verses 4 and 5 that the serpent directly contradicts what God has said. And he offers counterfeit promises of happiness that hooks Eve in. He says, you'll be like God. God's keeping the best from you. He's got something better for you. Problem is, it hasn't. He hasn't. So when Eve saw, she lingers. It says it's a delight to her eyes. It was good for food. I don't know how she knew it was good for food because no one had ever eaten it. It was good for making someone wise, you know, making you wise. She lingered there. And again, temptation grows in strength as we linger on it. And then she took it and she ate it. She gave some to Adam, who was with her. I mean, again, what on earth was Adam doing? He was just standing there. You know, aren't we meant to stand together, support one another, stop, um, encourage each other? So we choose truth, we choose right. But Adam failed in his responsibility there. And it's important to say here that temptation is not the same as sin. 
Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. And we as Christians, although there will be times when you fail, when you mess up, when I mess up, Christians don't have to sin. God always gives us a way out. And then the third character, the third person I want to look at is God himself. I mean, the first thing that stands out to me in this passage is his holiness, his separation, his, his justice, his judgment, the seriousness of sin. It's not a much small problem, is it? I mean, actually, look at the world around us. We know sin is not a small problem. It has infected everything. We have to be so careful, friends, of not just taking bits of God's personality or, or, or character that are palatable to us and just focusing on them. The God that we worship is full of love, and that is absolutely wonderful. But his love is set in holiness. In, in, when there's, in Revelation, there's a picture of heaven and the, uh, uh, the heavenly creatures. What are they singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we, as his children, need to be passionate and committed to reflecting his holiness. Another thing I see about God here is his goodness. You might think, where on earth is God's goodness in this horrific account? I don't know if you notice that God clothes Adam and Eve when they leave the garden. Even in their betrayal, he still cares for them. Even, even when we mess up, you might be sat watching the live stream right now and, and you have had a horrendous week and you feel it's just one failure followed by another. Or you may be watching this live stream right now and it's Mother's Day and it brings up all the pain of the past where you feel you just weren't a good, you weren't a good mum. But in the middle of all of that, God is good and God cares for you and he has created a way for all of that junk to be dealt with. So you can be totally free. Totally free from shame, from judgment, because someone else will take it all for you. And that leads me to my last, the very last point. But, and, and really, I should be leaving this for Sam next week because he's preaching this next week. But I thought, I can't let him have all the good news to himself. So I'm, I'm going to preach a little bit of it now, and then he's going to preach it for 20 minutes next week, and it's going to be absolutely glorious. And lastly, we see the promise of the one who will wonderfully, fully reverse the effects of what we've just been reading about. It speaks about, in verse 15, about one who will bruise the head of the serpent, even though the serpent will bruise his heel. And there is a day coming when the serpent will be removed from the earth. The offspring of the woman will crush him. This is one of the reasons why Jesus became human. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the devil was defeated. His one eternally destructive weapon was taken out of his hand, namely his accusation of human beings. He, he would accuse us before God and say they're guilty and they should spend an eternity separated from you just as I'm going to. That's what Satan was doing, accusing. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that weapon of accusation was removed forever. 
Because that accusation was nullified because Jesus carried the penalty for all of the sins that we have done wrong, that we can know freedom and liberty before God, who knows all things, who sees all things, but it was all put on his son, and it is wonderful news. As I said at the start of this preach, the impact of sin entering the world cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated. But you know what? What Jesus has achieved on the cross cannot be overstated either because for those who accept him as Lord and Saviour, he has wonderfully reversed the full effects of it. And we get to taste it here and now and we will fully taste it when Jesus returns and we go to be with him. It is wonderful. Those who have died with Christ have died to the power of sin in their lives. When people are baptised on Easter Sunday in a few weeks' time, this is a physical demonstration of the spiritual reality that has already taken place. They have died with Christ. They have been buried with Christ. They have been raised with Christ to live a new life with him and for him. Sin is a serious problem. It's everywhere causing hurt and pain and devastation. But it is only the gospel, the good news found in Jesus Christ, that provides a cure. It's not a band-aid, it's not a plaster that you put over, but the wound's still there. No, the gospel provides a cure. Forgiveness, cleansing and freedom. As Christians, we're in a battle and we need to take it seriously. Because it's not just about us standing firm, but it's providing hope for those that don't know Jesus, that they can know this freedom, liberty and cleansing that we enjoy on a daily basis. It says in 1 John 3 verse 8, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he appeared, that's what he is about, and to give us salvation and freedom. I'm just going to pray as we close. Lord God, I thank you. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord God, that you have come to set us free. Lord, I I thank you that even in the midst of the devastation of sin, we find mercy and grace and kindness from you. Lord, I pray for people right now who are watching, Lord God, whether they're mums, whether they're grandmas, whether they're sisters, whether they're daughters. I pray particularly for those, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, in any pain that they are experiencing right now, Lord God, for just a fresh sense of your comfort coming in. I pray, Lord, if they don't know you as Lord and Saviour, Lord God, that you will come close to them and they will sense your nearness right now, I pray. I pray for all of us, Lord God, that even even today, Lord God, that we will be freshly reminded of your incredible goodness and it will cause us to overflow in thanksgiving, praise and worship. Thank you, Lord God, so much for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.